Welcome to Tales of the Valley. Hello, I'm Cynthia. Today we meet Peter Dada, whose family had a presence in the main street of Tyree for many years in a well-known clothing store. Peter also introduces us to the tight-knit Lebanese community of the Manning Valley. We hear the tale of this quiet, unassuming, dignified man with his understated sense of humour who proudly calls the Manning Valley home. Peter's story starts with him recollecting his school days. I was always good at maths at school. Figures. That was my best subject. I could doze off a bit in the classroom and we used to have classrooms of 50 or 60 people. Mm. I would doze and if I was called upon for the answer, I knew the answer straight away. Figures. We closed on the 16th of June 1993. We lasted 60 years. Now, Tiffany Dada, my brother's daughter, birthday is the 16th of June. Denise's mother's birthday is the 16th of June. Denise came into our shop the first day to work. It was the 16th of June. So four lots. We closed on the 16th of June. All coincidences. That was our last trading day and it was What's a that? Wednesday. Did you decide it would be the 16th of June because of those no, reasons? No, we, we finally decided we were going to close down. The business had grown very big. And over a period of time, we closed off virtually the last 60 feet of the store. 60 feet, about 19, 18, 19 metres. And we leased it out to different people for the last 10 years that we were there. But it was time the town moved away from us in Victoria Street. Mm -hmm. I often used to say we were on the wrong side of the street. If we were over the other side, it would have been better, even though we had the river behind us. When Manning Mall opened up, John Hackney, who was one of the managers, my neighbour that lived straight across here, um, tried to get us to come up, taking a small shop, put something into it. And we thought about it, and we thought about uniforms and workwear. And then we decided, no, we'll keep everything in the one building. Maybe if we'd gone up, we might have lasted a bit more. We didn't. It was early for us. I was 53. John was 51. John and Lily were city people all the time and as soon as we closed they were virtually sold up their home, went down to Sydney. It was time for us to get out. Mm -hmm. The last 18 months we were propping up the shop with money that was coming in from other buildings that we had that we were getting rent on. I don't usually say that to many people but we were propping it up for 18 months. So it was time and... It was time to go. Tari was changing. It Unfortunately, moved it, it had moved, moved up. Yes. And some time after Father died and before we closed down, 
Denise had said to me that he'd spoken to her one time and said if the boys, we are the boys, had any sense we'd be gone in 10 years. So he could almost see the writing on the wall. Well, we died 13 years. He died. We closed down 13 years after he died. Mm -hmm. He could see the writing. Something, I don't know. Mm. He never said that to us. No. So it was time for us to go. But I like the 16th of June. Yes, that's quite prophetic, isn't it, really? Yeah. And John and Lily got married four weeks before we did, and they lived... 1964 in the unit above the shop. We got married in Tauri 26th of September that year. We lived up with them for three months till this place was finished. And when we came in here, it was just finished. There wasn't much inside. There was no carpets on the floor or anything, but it was ours. We moved in one week before Christmas. I can remember going into your shop as a kid and it was always um, it was always really special, and you you know you always felt like you had to be on your best behaviour in there. <laughs> um, well, we weren't that strict, sure. No, it wasn't that it was strict, but it was um, I don't know. There was something special about it. It was almost like going into a little department store, like going into DJs well, in the city or something. It probably like was that. because all the things we sold, mm. and you were most important. Yes. The customer is always right. So we were taught. Yeah, and it didn't matter who you were or what you were. Um, yeah, you always felt like you were very special when we you walked into the We made a lot of shop. friends, and I still have a lot of people here that are friends. Some of them, I'm forgetting their names now, but I still know them. Hmm. And I'll talk to someone for a while, and then if Denise comes around and we go off, I'll say, who was that I was talking to? And she'll say, you know, you were talking to them. And sometimes I have no idea, and I often ask people, I'm getting used to it, like, oh, you're Mary, are you? And you'd say, no, I'm Cynthia. Oh, have you got a sister named Mary? Believe it or not, one out of ten times I'm right. You're right, so you've just got to put it all together. I just pull a name out. Yeah, and it's around that it area. It helps me a bit. Hmm. Hmm. No, no always... I, th I think this is... We have no intentions of going anywhere else. We've travelled around Australia. You have done a lot of travel, haven't you, in your caravan? And 264,000 kilometres. That's a lot of travel. 20 years. Hmm. So you've seen most of Australia? We've seen almost nothing. We've been around the edge. Around We've been edge. to a few places. You could never see it all. Never see it all. And the last time we were in... We were going around Western Australia. I had two people, close people, that were in Bishop Tyrrell Place. And one was Denise's cousin. And we used to ring up every so often and we'd have Karen checking on one of them, an Italian man. And this particular time we worked going to go another couple of weeks and Karen rang up on this Sunday to say if you want to speak to Peter ring him now because he won't be here when you come back and Peter was a man Pasquale Andriani again he had very bad English I don't know how I attract these people <laughs> a big heart anyhow 
I said to Karen on the phone because he couldn't come to the phone. He wasn't fit to come to the phone. I said, tell him we'll be home Tuesday, 10 o'clock. I don't know where I picked that out of. Then we shot back very quickly from Western Australia on a Sunday and we got into Bishop Tyrrell Place about five minutes past 10. He died at 10 o'clock. And two days before, the other person was Johnny Hammond, Denise's first cousin. And his father, also John, or known as Jack, was the one that my mother-in-law, before she was my mother-in-law, went to to ask, would it be right for Denise to marry me? And he gave permission too. And he died on the Sunday. Peter died on the Tuesday, five minutes before we got in there. But he knew you were coming. Well, he would have known, yeah. yes. He was a bit difficult sometimes. He would phone up or Maybe he'd come he to the door. Maybe he just had to have the last word there. <laughs> he, he would say, if I answer the phone, he's on it, sorry to disturb. That's how he said every time. Sorry to disturb. And he got me to come out there. He lived also at Jarrah Place in one of Bushland Place units there. And one day he'd got this letter, all in Italian, and he wanted me to read it to him. How's your Italian, Peter? <laughs> he said to him, you're the Italian, not me. You read it. <laughs> you could work out a word here and there that mm. might look like an Australian word a bit. Maybe. We survived. <laughs> but, oh, dear. Hmm. So you can go around Australia and still not see too much. Mm -hmm. You see a lot, but it's not enough. Not too much. Well, Peter, we might have to leave it there. We've taken up quite a bit of your time. I'm sorry Thank that you. I do this. I welcome you here. It's great. Would you like a cup of tea? I'm fine. Would you like one? Yes? Yep. That would be lovely. Thank you, Peter. Good morning, Peter. Welcome to Towers of the Valley. Good morning, Cynthia. I was just wondering if you can tell us a bit about your life in Tari in the Manning Valley. You were born here, Peter? I was born here on the 29th of March, 1940, and I've had 80 birthdays so far. Congratulations. Second child. So you've got an older brother? I have an older sister. An older sister. And a younger brother. But a lot of people think John's older than me. <laughs> No, he's the younger one. Right. So, when did your parents move to Taree? They came to Taree on the 1st of November 1933, after getting married the day before oh, in really? Sydney. Yes. Came to Taree to settle a little business, clothing business, because they were told Taree was a good town up the coast good to have a little business in there and raise a family, and they came. So they were from Sydney? My father was from Lebanon mm -hmm. and came out 1926, 25 years of age. He had no brothers or sisters, and his parents had died before he came. He came to Sydney with his cousins, and he had an uncle in Sydney who was one of the first two Maronite priests to come to Australia. 
and he was the boss with my father. He told my father sometime in that year, 1933, that it was time he settled down and got married. And my father said, yes, who to uncle? And he said, there's four girls living next door to the church, marry one. Oh. So he did, he married the eldest of the four. Right. Who was my mother, of course. <laughs> and the other three didn't have children, so I had four mothers and four fathers. Oh, that's wonderful. So you were very spoiled? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't think so. They were strict. They were strict, yes. And one of the aunties especially was strict. She'd be sitting at the table if she came up on a holiday and she'd have a pen and pad there. And if we put our elbows on the table while we're eating or anything like that, it went in the book and we got corrected on these things. Right. So from a very young age, um, manners and politeness was always very important. Very much so. And then at eight years of age, I was sent to boarding school in Sydney. My brother was six, I was eight, and we went to Hunters Hill to Brown St. Joseph Nuns, who we considered were very wicked and cruel. But that was it with us little boys. And then after primary school, across the road to St. Joseph's College, I'm a Joe boy. You're a Joe boy. And proud of it. Yes. Finished school. Finished on a Friday, got the train home. I'm not sure about this, but either that night or the next day and had to start working in the family store on the Monday, two days later. Not so what I wanted to do, but I had to do that, give it one year try. So if you had a, what did you want to do, Peter? I don't necessarily tell everyone what I wanted to do, but it was wearing one of those white collars. Oh, really? But you, That's me. Yep. But you did what was expected of you, I suppose, and went into the older son family we business. Were we did what we were told, and we did. And what year was that, Peter? Nineteen fifty-six. Sixteen. I finished the leaving certificate. Couldn't get out of college quick enough. Came home, and I've been here ever since. And at that point, um, it was clothing that you were selling clothing, in the Clothing, Manchester, a bit of everything. A bit of everything. A bit of everything in those days. My parents came to town, I think, when there was about 3,000 people in the Manning Valley. Wow. And it grew from there. So um, the shop had always been in that position in Victoria Street? Yes, but it was a very little shop. Right. It was part of the old Royal Hotel building. Oh, really? The Royal Hotel was there, burnt down in 1905 and rebuilt on the same spot. Okay. 1905 at Victoria Street from where our shop was, right to the Beehive building all burnt down. Oh, dear. And if oh. you look at the top of the Beehive building now, you'll see on the top of it, it's got 1907. Oh, and that was when it was rebuilt. Yeah. Mm. Right. So the hotel built there, then in 1925, do you want to know all this? Yes, please. 1925, they moved next door and built next door the current Beaton's Royal Hotel. And so where our little shop was, 
Baker's West Ella Cake Shop, Fruit and Veggies, Alphonse Kennedy's store, and I'm not sure what he had, was all that building that is now up to raw, and including raw sugar. Okay, right. There were stables at the back. Oh, was there? I was born in 1940 in March and came home, and within six weeks my sister, who was two, held me out over the balcony up top. <laughs> so my parents decided it was time to move out, and they bought 13 Florence Street, 1940. And so that was our family home until after Mother died, 1986. In Florence Street. Right, yeah. So your parents obviously instilled that work ethic in you, Peter. They must have well, worked really hard. We had to do what we were told. When we were young, even, teenagers, if you came home, like Lebanese people did on weekends, they would go around visiting other Lebanese people. You came in. We, the children, had to make the black coffee. Oh, did you? We knew how to make it in the real little cups. Yes. And if there were six people, there'd be six cups of coffee and at least three small glasses of iced water for the people too because you have the water first. We did that. Right. The coffee was that strong that a spoon would probably stand up in it. <laughs> so it was that thick, thick coffee that you'd make on the stove. Yes. yes. Yeah. One spoon of coffee. I think it was usually bushels, but I'm not sure if bushels made black coffee in those days. I don't know. In the big one, one spoon of coffee, one little cup of water, spoon of coffee, water, coffee, water, and then you put one extra one in. That's okay. I just turned that off. I'm sorry. That's all right. We'll just wait. That's normally me. So there were quite a few Lebanese families. There were in a lot Tari in the early days. In at that time, wasn't there? At least a dozen or more. Just in Tyree, then at Wingham. Oh, at Wingham as well? Wingham. The first Lebanese people came to the Manning Valley to, I believe, Killabark in the oh. late 1800s. And was it because Tyree and the Manning Valley was a, was a prosperous area at that point? I don't actually know exactly why they first came. Farmers... No, I can't tell you why they no. first came and then others follow and you would tell me, Tari, good town, come up there. So I'd get the family and go up there, I guess. Mm. And about 20 years ago, we had a reunion here, first yes. Lebanese reunion, which we had 207 at a sit-down meal. Wow. That Eric Richardson talked me into organising. <laughs> when he was a counsellor. Hmm. That's quite remarkable to have that legacy. There's still a few Lebanese here and a few of us, we don't stick together like we did then, 
but you know each other and sometimes you go out mm. for dinner or whatever. Mm. Or with me now, it's either breakfast or lunch because dinner's too late. Yes. So once you finished school and you went into the family business, um, what were you expected to do in the business at that point? Stay in the business and gradually take it over with my brother. When I came home from boarding school after eight years in boarding school, no freedom, I found freedom, pocket money and girls. <laughs> in that order. In that order. And that was it. <laughs> and then... 1961, yes. in, or before that, in our heyday, we employed about 15 or 16 people maximum. But in 1961, on the 16th of June, this very tall, very skinny, blonde girl came into work. And she had long legs that went all the way up to her backside. <laughs> And when I started giving her the eye after about six months, she gave notice and left. Oh. Her mother was strict Methodist. And oh, our family really? strict Catholics. Or really, we were Maronite, but come to the country, there was no Maronites up here, so it's the Catholic So church. Catholic was the closest. Yep. And so she gave notice and left and went up the street and became a dental nurse. So I used to wait outside till one particular time. I walked downtown at 10 o'clock at night, stood outside the Royal Hotel, because hotels closed at 10 o'clock. Right. And this girl was one of the beatens, Denise. Ah. And I waited for her father to come out, and he saw me, and he spoke to me, and he wanted to know what I was doing there, because he knew I didn't drink. And I asked him if he'd go home and ask his wife if I could come out and visit the police, and he didn't smile at all. He said, I'll see what I can do, and then I was invited out. And the first night for a meal was a Friday night. And Denise had helped her mother make things with meat in it. And Catholics, of course, in those days, no meat on a Friday. <laughs> Friday night. No. So Denise thought, this is not going to last. <laughs> and here we are, 56 years after the wedding. And we had our wedding anniversary last Sunday. Congratulations. Thank you. So was it hard to convince her mother? Not really. Not once I she just, met I you? I just hadn't been... I didn't know anything about bigotry and the churches that don't talk to each other. and That, that wasn't anything I needed to know. Well, I didn't grow up knowing that. No. So I was very persistent, it seems to be. And persistence <laughs> obviously paid off. <laughs> oh, well. Yes. So... The Royal Hotel was virtually next door to the shop. It was. Mm. And when I'd go out the front and go up, I'd often see Denise's uncle, Ernie Beaton, out the front because he spent a lot of time out the front talking to people while his brother did the work. <laughs> and um, we'd always just say hello to each other as I'd go past, and that's it. I'd say hello to his brother sometimes too if I'd see him. And once Denise came on the scene... Well, we got to like each other, yes. he and me. Very good. And three weeks ago, Denise and myself, with other Beatons from here, 
oral relations went to Kyogle to go to my father-in-law's sister's 104 years of age funeral in Kyogle. Wow. He died at 54 years of age and his sister died at 104. And Denise only said last Sunday, you know, we've been married longer than Dad was alive. Oh. Mm. 56 years. This is some of my useless history. It's not useless, it's very interesting and important history. Mm. It is to me. I think it is to everybody. I've recorded a lot of things. I've given Karen a lot of different, how do I say, talks that I've given to different organisations or, or people about the history, my history and the family. Mm-hmm. It's all in there too, but Karen's got all the printouts. Oh, very good. She's very interested in it. So how did the, did the business change once you and your brother took over? It had grown. When it first started, it was a very small business, 1933. About, well, when I came in, it was about I believe, 18 metres long. I believe when you were young, you got very, you got introduced to a watering can. Oh. The old building, the old Royal Hotel that was built in 1926, 1905, oh, 19, after 1905, was an old building, timber building, and there was clothing stacked everywhere in the shop, 60 feet long, 20 feet wide, and the floor had to be swept every day. We were good, a good account with Piccolo brooms, Bob Wallace, because we used to buy a dozen straw brooms at a time and all the floor had to be swept. And it'd take two or three of us to sweep the floor. But before you did that in the morning, so that you didn't get dust on the clothes because the dust had rise and there were gaps in the floor. So you'd go up quickly with a watering can, up, down, up, down real quickly so they'd keep the dust down. Mm -hmm. So mm. that was one of your first jobs so, as a kid? Sweeping the floor, yeah, having yep. a good time. Yep. And that was good. It was enjoyable, things like this. And of course, John and myself had probably muck around with the ladies in the shop as long as Father didn't see us. <laughs> We'd, you'd be telling jokes or stories or things like this instead of working. But if yeah. he saw us, that was wrong. Back to work. So I can remember one time... We used to get a lot of goods in wooden crates, big boxes. And you'd leave the top off and take everything out, then the box would go outside. And this particular day, we'd empty the box of clothing and we'd put one of the girls in there <laughs> and we'd put the lid on. And the next thing, Father came down wanting to know what we were doing. No one was game to say a word. He didn't find out. We had one of the girls in the box. In the box. And they were, that was good. Yeah, just innocent fun. Yeah. One of these girls, while we were there, a bit older than me, used to write to us at school. She'd write, mm. father would tell her, write to Peter, write John, write Nolene, and she would write in his words. And ah. he had very bad English. 
And when we got to know her, when we came home, we'd say, why didn't you correct, correct Father's English? No way you didn't correct Mr Dada's English. <laughs> so she wrote as he spoke. Yes. Yes. And then I keep in contact with her still. She's still alive. I was best man at her wedding. Oh. I'm godfather to her first of six children. Who's now getting very close to 60. Hmm. So your staff became family as well. They did. Well. They yeah. did. And I can imagine a lot of them would have been with you for a very long time. Mm. Well, two of the early girls have only died in the last few years. One was 97 and the other was Mary McIntyre. She was Mary Hogan at the time, was about 90. Mm. Mm. They were. They were family. They'd get into trouble too sometimes, like we would get into trouble. Because father was very strict. Right, yeah. So he ran a tight ship. He tried to. <laughs> we didn't help. So he had to have a bit of fun along the we way. Did. Yeah. We did. He caught me one time. He called me up one particular time and he said, You lied to me. And I said, When did I lie? You lie, you know, tell lies. And that's how he spoke. And I said when, he said, you know driving car. Now, we had a 1951 black Dodge. It was like a tank. And the three of us children learned to drive on it. And I used to take it, I think it was Thursday nights, up to the Catholic Church for choir practice. Both John and myself were in the choir. And this particular day, it had come back from a garage in Manning Street, and I think it was Manning Motor Company, that had had the Black Dodge for a while and had spray-painted it. So it was just fresh paint on it. And I took it that night and I'd drive people home. I could fit nine in that car. I got pulled up one time by a policeman at Chatham taking people home and he shone his torch in and he saw this white-haired lady down the, the end of the front seat and so he warned me again not to have so many in the car. He must have thought it was my mother, but it was the choir mistress, Bernadette Myers, who I went to her funeral to. Yeah. Anyhow, one of them, this girl's Monica's boyfriend, Jim Parmenter, lived on Old Bar Road. And I dropped people off and he was the last to go. And he said to me, can I have a drive? And I said, yes, Jim, of course you can. And he drove Old Bar Road, when it had a lot of gravel on it, he skidded and he went into a barbed wire fence. <gasps> and he took a couple of little bits of paint out of the front of the car. It wasn't fast going into the fence, yeah. but it damaged the car. Enough. So the next morning I told Father that I'd had an accident. <gasps> that was the lie I told him that oh. two weeks later, and I still don't know how he ever found out that I wasn't driving the car. But he found out. And my excuse was, how do I tell you I lent... Lent the car to someone else, <laughs> they did the damage. You took the blame instead, mm. yes. Mm. Mm. Oh dear. So the business, um, once you and your brother took over, it changed or it, it just it grew? It changed automatically with, yeah. with the times. Mm. Um, we purchased the property from the Beaton family in 1957 
for £25,000, which was a lot of money in those mm, days. It would have been. It was not just where our shop was, it was the whole lot, including today's raw sugar. That, that was the property. And we didn't have the money, but it was a, an agreement from Mrs Violet Louise Mitchell, who was Violet Louise Beaton. She was auntie to my father-in-law. And it was an agreement, pay me what you can now, the rest as you get it. And that's how we did it. Paid it off by putting money in. This is Mitchell's account every so often. I can still see the bank. It's where the chemist shop is, uh, next to Bing Lee. That used to be a bank, commercial bank of Sydney Limited, I think it was called. Mrs. Mitchell's account, and we paid it off. And as soon as we did that, we added on the next 60 feet of the shop, and it was wider than the front, because at the front there was Westella Cakes, Clary Becker's, Chris Becker's grandfather's shop. Oh. Which was good because when John and myself out of school and a cake shop right next door to us, and all these things, and we'd go each day and we'd buy something and we'd stand on the gutter, having whatever it was, a cream bun or something like that, which was a treat for us. Yes. But the shop extended there. Denise was working at that stage, and we asked some of the girls if they would come back on a Saturday afternoon because we were having carpet put down. And she was one of them. And something, I don't know how, I used to tease her a bit, I don't know how it worked out, but I threatened her that I'd give her a kiss if she would do something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad she's not here. <coughs> she says I talk too much. No, not at all. So that was added on. Then a couple of years later, the front section was done. So it was 120 feet long. Then in 1964... We extended another 60 feet, which is the current building that it is, with a unit up on top. And the unit was for John and Lily. In between times, 1961, this area was opened up. And Father brought us up on a Saturday. We had to buy a block of land each. It was compulsory saving. And right from day one, first pay, we had to bank half our money. That was his ruling. That was his rules. And he would go to the bank and he would ask them and the bank managers were all managers were always friends of his and check, is Peter banking? Oh, he missed one week, did he? So he'd tell me that I missed a week of banking half the pay. <laughs> so we had money to buy the land. Mm -hmm. And so where we're talking about is the top of Bays Hill. So right here. Richie Crescent, yes. Right here. Opposite. Yeah. The lookout. There's the two look blocks of land that I'm on. John bought one block and I bought the other one. One was £700, the other one was £750. But we had it because he made a save, mm. 1961. And then when the unit was built downtown, that was for John and Lily, John got married four weeks before Denise and myself did in Sydney. And that was their unit, so I took John's block of land here. So I'm on two blocks of land. I'd hate to be on one. And spectacular views overlooking the it valley. Is. Yeah. It is. 
but that's a great view too. People come up to see the sunsets, but the sun rises here is magnificent. It would be beautiful. And the sun's about just out of here now. It's been over. It goes right around. December will be rising over there. So you really almost get a 360-degree view, almost. I suppose so. Yeah. Over the valley, yeah. Beautiful. And we've, the last couple of years we've thought about going into something smaller and we've looked at Warana Place and people have told people that the Dadas are coming but we've never said we're going. We discussed it even early this year with Dennis Hawkins, went into it and then we decided to do up this. As you can see it's a White House. It's just been done a couple of months ago. And it's a spectacular house. White inside and white outside. Everything's white. There used to be tapestries on the walls, photos on the walls. Everything's stored downstairs in what I still call my office. There's almost nothing on the walls. Even that had gone into a bedroom and we brought that back in here. So we're going to stay here as long as we can. That's nice. Fifteen stairs make a difference now. Yeah, they would. So you've been here 56 years, years this Christmas. Yeah. And our first refrigerator and stove came from Calvin's Electrical. <laughs> and Peter Calvin um, we bought the refrigerator full price and he threw in the stove. We didn't pay anything for the stove. Of course, they're both gone discount. now. I can't. I don't know what the warranty was. That's a pretty good discount. It was in those days. And how long did your hot water system last? Forty-three years. <laughs> of green coppermatic. And then when Joe told me to get lost, I rang Ron Crossingham. He had someone here post haste, took out the old one which was inside, put an outdoor one outside, and it was connected to electricity by eleven o'clock that same morning. Excellent service. Pretty good service. And I said, what guarantee do I get on this one? And Ron Crossingham said to me, if you're lucky, you'll get seven years. <laughs> and it's into its 13th year now. Well, hopefully you'll get 43 out of it I don't well. think so. I definitely don't think so. The element's gone already and we have a, son, a grandson who's now an electrician. And he's starting tomorrow out on his own and he came up and put a new element in he said he'd never seen one burnt out as much as the one was in this newer hot water service right. he also came here while the painter was here he had to change every light switch and every power point the painter told him i didn't tell him to do this matthew you've got to change them because they'd yellowed over the years uh. so they're all White again, Matthew did all that. And then he took out the air conditioning unit. I said, but it's still working. He said, it's too old, Jid. They call me Jid, which is short for Jiddy, which is grandfather. Oh, lovely. He said, it's too old, Jid. So he took it out and put that one in. He put down lights in the kitchen. So that's very handy. He put a fa fan and heater in the bathroom, all here while the painter's here. Lovely. At my expense, of course. <laughs> So one of the other things that's been really important in your life, Peter, is community service and being part of the community. 
Is yeah. it Apex in the Apex early days? first. I joined November 64. I got married on the 26th of September 64, so I was very new. And I had no idea what I was letting myself in for. I joined Apex. And then I decided I had to get involved because I wasn't just going for a meal. And um, Apexians meet on a Friday night every second week. Some of, the, some of them would stay drinking. Then they'd go to someone's house for supper. So we'll say about Christmas time of that year. We're sound asleep inside, Denise and myself, newly married a few months, and it's bang, bang, bang on the front door, and the back door people rattling on it. There must have been a dozen of them, Apexians, mad Apexians, came up about 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And I was a bit terrified, and I said, if I don't open the door, they'll break it down. <laughs> so they came in, and someone goes to the kitchen straight away to make supper. Mm -hmm. Someone else's house, but they go... I was in on this later on too, a couple of times. And um, the next morning, a Saturday morning, I had no shoes. And no I would shoes have had, at all? I would have had three or four or five pairs of shoes at least. Couldn't find them to go down to work. And we have a laundry chute in there. Just open the door in the hallway, throw the clothes in open it down in the laundry downstairs. That's where I found all my shoes. One of these mad apex scenes did that. So there was always a lot of pranks as well as the community service, we, wasn't there? We had fun. Yes. And I got called fruit fly in apex. Why? Because I used to have orchie all the time and <laughs> I didn't drink. And then I married a publican's daughter and neither <laughs> of us drink. We have St Agnes Brandy here, which goes in Denise's fruitcakes. And that's all? That's it. have no intentions of drinking. I wouldn't start now, Peter. No. I have a son that makes up for me, and I have another family member that makes up for me. Yes. Hmm. You don't need to. They're interesting times. Yes. So, but the Apexians did... Amazing community work. We did, very much so. Yeah. And the Apex Lookout? Which was to take six weeks to build. Probably Mr Calvin was one of the ringleaders in it. It took 18 months to build. <laughs> and I'm living here and it's still being built. I think they got me in the club because they liked morning tea that Denise would supply oh. on a Saturday morning when they're working. But it's been good. No, life's been good. I was also very involved in the church. You come out of Catholic schools, mm -hmm. and especially boarding schools, you're in the church all the time. And I attached myself to some of the young priests in the, the days, the young days. Uh, one of them I can remember, we were like twins. We had the same swimmers. We had the same beach towels, probably <laughs> coming out of our shop. Yes. And any time that this priest had time off, we'd be at the beach. And that was it. I grew up around them. Mm -hmm. The other thing that um, I believe you play the violin, Peter. Mm. I practiced this morning a little bit. Did you? 
I started at five on the violin. One of my mother's sisters was a great violinist, and I would think, I don't remember, but I would think she started me off on it, and then the nuns took over here teaching me because I went to school here, kindergarten, first, second, third class, then went to boarding school, and then at boarding school had the violin with me and I took lessons all the time, and then I did it as a subject for the leaving certificate. The only time I ever went to the Conservatorium of Music and played there, my exam. Oh. And I passed. I came home and I joined the town orchestra till my early 20s. And then I one day somehow broke the news to my mother, because she was the one that really had me playing all the time. And if guests came, I had to play. Mm -hmm. And John played the piano, he would accompany me. Sometimes we'd race to see who could finish first. <laughs> Wasn't very much appreciated. No. But early 20s, I said, I've had enough of the violin, I'm not playing anymore. And I stopped, and I stopped for 51 years. For 51 years? And we had a person who was the only as far as I know, the only lady president of Rotary. I joined Rotary in 1987. And this lady, Joy McCaffrey, was the lady president. And we had daylight saving barbecue up here on a Monday night because the Taree Club always met Monday nights. We had a barbecue and it was her birthday. And Denise made one of her special fruitcakes and she said, I'll take it across to Joy. And I said, wait a minute, I'll go downstairs and get one of my violins. At that stage, I had three from a real small one to another one that's got Stradivarius on it, which is a fake, to the one that I use, which was made in 1802, this one. Anyhow, I went and got the violin. Any mug can play Happy Birthday. So I went across behind Denise playing this happy birthday over and over again till we got up to Joy. And later on, John Doust, who was in the club, came to me and said, Peter, since how long have you been playing the violin? And I said, I don't play, John. And he said, what do you mean? And I explained how I stopped in my early 20s. And he said, I go to Storm Village Dementia Unit each Monday morning. I'd like you to come. I said, no, John, I tried to talk myself out of it. And he said, but it's easy music, the 1930s, 1940s, he plays there. And so I went out to his place, and he had a music room upstairs at his house across at Glenthorne, and fiddling around with music with him, and I could play a lot of it. Up here, I didn't need to see the music. So it was almost muscle memory that came back? I suppose it was, but once you hear, once I hear some of these things, like Irish Lullaby, over in Killarney, Galway Bay, um, or a few of the other ones, a lot of those 30s and 40s, some mm. of the war music yes. I'd heard before, I don't think I'd ever played it, but it was very easy, so then I started going with John on Mondays to Storm Village. After a few years, John got sick, so I used to pick him up. He lost his licence. I used to pick him up. We'd go there, and then he'd go off sometimes to Port Macquarie for treatment. Then John died. 
family asked me if I'd play at his funeral, which I did. My specialty is Danny Boy followed by Amazing Grace. I rub, run them into each other. And then I kept going back till the beginning of last year. I said I'd like three months off. And that three months turned into 13 months. I went back this year under my terms that if I want to go back, I'll phone a couple of days before to see if it's suitable for me to go back for an hour or an hour and a half. And I went back twice and then COVID came in. That's where we'll leave Peter Dada, one of nature's gentlemen. Subscribe to our podcast to hear more Tales of the Valley. Until next time, I'm Cynthia.